was supposed to do this this morning. Welcome. <laughs> it's good to see everybody here this morning. Get that thing working. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you're here. Numbers look like they're down quite a bit this morning. But those of you who are here, we are happy to have you. If you're visiting, please fill out a visitor's card in a pew in front of you, drop it in a black box or give it to somebody so we can have a record of your being here. Uh, note on there anything we can help you with. We're called to be servants, and uh, if we can serve you in any way, please let us know about it. Uh, pick up a Rome journal in the back, a listing of all of our upcoming events, uh, those on our prayer list, those who are struggling that, that need our help, uh, those who... Uh, may need cards of encouragement, uh, pick up one of those. If you haven't yet done so, we have redone the life groups. So pick up a new life group sheet in the back. They have changed um, somewhat. There's probably 60% still the same, but probably 40% has changed. So pick that up. Uh, take note of which group you're in. Uh, Mike's group is having a meeting after church today. Where the mic's at? Oh. <laughs> so if you're in Mike's group, you're supposed to be over there today. Uh, we're going to change Mike's group's number five. You're now going to be number one. So we, we were reserving life group number one for something else, but that may not ever happen. So if you're five, you're now one. Uh, it's still Mike's group, so pay attention to that. You bow with me as we begin our worship this morning. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for uh, all that you do for us. We're thankful for your presence in our life each day. We're thankful for the opportunity we have, the freedom that we have to be here uh, to worship um, in spirit and in truth. Guide our worship service today, Father, may it be pleasing to you, may it be uplifting, edifying to each of us. Bless us for being here. Uh, open your word to us. Help us to be better each day and more like your son. We're thankful, Father, for your son and for all that we have through him and in him. We're thankful, Father, that we have the opportunity to remember him this day. The purpose, the reason that we're here. Help us, Father, to uh, remember all the blessings that we have through his, through his life, and ultimately through his death and through his resurrection. Um, just help us to, to do all we can to be more like him. Watch over those, Father, who are hurting, who are sick many that we are concerned about there are so many on our prayer list so many that maybe who aren't publicly known that are also struggling uh, many fathers struggling physically struggling spiritually many struggling even mentally and socially with with depression and anxiety and, and we have so much in our life father that that we struggle with we ask for your strength we ask for your your courage we ask for your comfort your peace just help us father to to get through these tough times, these tough situations, and help us to be an encouragement to others when we can. Once again, Father, bless our worship service this morning. Guide our thoughts and our minds. Just be with us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, Rejoice the Lord is King, number 547. <clears throat> Rejoice the Lord is King. 
Next hymn this morning, number 345, It Is Well With My Soul, 345. After that, Brother Joe Robinson will have our scripture reading and prayer.
scripture reading this morning will become uh, from Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. Genesis 3 verses 1 through 4. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come into your house and study your word. Uh, we thank you for uh, being in a country that we can openly serve and, and uh, study your word, that uh, we might uh, use our knowledge that you give us to impact other people's lives. We pray that uh, you give us opportunities, Father, uh, in the coming days and weeks that we might witness to uh, our friends, our neighbors, and even strangers on the street, Father, that uh, you sent your son to die for them just like you sent him to die for me. We pray for the sick and elderly, Father, that uh, you might be with them, meet their needs, Father, just be with their doctors as they're treated, that you would give them the wisdom and to bring our friends back to health. We pray for this country, Father. We pray that uh, you might uh, be uh, strengthen us, Father, that uh, we might uh, stand up and uh, show what is right according to your word, that we might take this country back, and uh, you might bless us again. For all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Next hymn this morning, number 621, 10,000 Angels, 621. Where he prays. 
morning. First Timothy 2, starting with verse 5, reads, For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. During Jesus' ministry, he also says this in Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Definition of ransom is the consideration paid or demanded for the release of someone or something from captivity. The more biblical definition would be what is given in exchange for another as the price of his redemption. The psalmist says this about a ransom no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him for the redemption of his soul was costly and he should cease trying forever it doesn't matter how much money we have or how good we think we are we can never save ourselves we can never save each other and this morning at this time we have the opportunity to Remember Jesus, the one that was sent here to, to do for us what we can never do for ourselves, and that was to take away our sins, to be a ransom for each of us through the death of his body and being hung on that cross. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Father, thanking you for the opportunity, for the privilege to be here this morning at this time, Father, to remember your son, Jesus, to remember your plan, Father, of salvation. We thank you, Father, for, for your love, for your grace and mercy, and we thank you for Jesus and his willingness to, to go to the cross, to die a, 
sinner's death, Father, to take away our sins, that we can become or be brought back into a relationship with you, Father, and that we could have that hope of eternal life. Father, at this time, we ask your blessings upon the bread, which represents Jesus' body on the cross. And it's through Jesus we pray these things. Amen. pray again. Dear God, we approach you once again, Father, thanking you for your son, Jesus. Thanking you, Father, for your love that was so strong that you were willing to send your son here to, to live, to teach, and ultimately to, to die for each of us so that our sins can be removed and, and washed away. And we thank you, Father, for for the blood, Jesus, that covers over our many sins. At this time, we ask your blessings upon the, the fruit of the cup, Father, which is representative of that blood. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.
concludes the Lord's Supper, we now have the opportunity to give back to, to God as he has blessed us. Reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you at this time, Father, thanking you for all the many blessings that you give each of us, Father, as individuals, as families, and as a church family. You've blessed us so richly, Father, and this time we ask that each of us would would give back to you father as we've been given and we would do so generously and and uh, with a cheerful heart and and father we ask your blessings upon the, the funds that are collected this morning that it'll, they'll be used as you intend them to be used to be used to to sustain the functions of the church here also reaching out to the community and, and bringing more people to know you father we thank you for giving us so much, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to give back to you at this time. And it's through Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 350, Jesus Hold My Hand. We'll sing the first two verses. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour.
Invitation hymn this morning, number 538, Prepare to Meet Thy God, Brother Chris. I like that song we just sang, don't you? Uh, to, to do the best I can. It's one of the opening lines of that song, and I thought as, as we were singing that that's, that's why we're here today, to, to learn to do the best we can. Today we're talking about the fall. You find it in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis can be outlined in, uh, in a couple different ways, but in, in the way that the book seems to fall, um, the outline that God seems to want us to, to see uh, is, is eight, has eight components. Four main events in the beginning of Genesis, 1 through 12, uh, contains four big events I think he wants you to see and focus on. And then Genesis 13, or Genesis 12 through 50, uh, are four main people I think he wants you to see. So you've got the formation, the, the first uh, four bits here are, uh, all fall into uh, a letter F. The, the, the formation, and then you've got the fall, which we're talking about today, the flood, which is coming up next week, and then finally the fallout, we talk about the Tower of Babel. Um, and then the four main people, the four, the four major men that he talks about in the second half of Genesis are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then finally Joseph. Today, today we're dealing with the fall. And uh, I wanted to think through Satan's traps. Paul would say uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, starting in verse 10, he says, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. He's, he's talking about, I think, of that, that man in 1 Corinthians 5 that Paul said you need to you need to cast this man out of the church. He's, he's, he's sinning, knowingly sinning, and, and the church hasn't done anything about it. And so you need to, you need to discipline this man in the hopes that um, the, the lack of relationship that he has now with the church and with the Lord will, will draw him back into that relationship. And so apparently that has worked. Um, they, the church has done that. They've withdrawn from this man. And 
uh, and he's come back. The, the Lord's plan works. And so in 2 Corinthians 2, we find out, I think, that this man has come back and he has repented of his sin and, and now he's, he's to be received with open arms gladly. But in 2, 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, I, I think that's what he's talking about, but he gives us some indication here uh, a little bit about about Satan, and that's where I wanted to focus our thoughts today. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I forgive anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. That word designs is interesting. It's used a couple other times throughout Scripture, and every other time it's used in Scripture, it's not translated designs. Every other time it's translated in Scripture, it's, it's translated minds or thoughts. So he's saying that you can know Satan's mind. In fact, he, he wants you to, to have some inkling, a, a preview, an understanding of the way Satan works, his thoughts. Can you know that? Well, certainly you can. In fact, in Scripture, he gives you a pretty good inclination of how Satan thinks, of how he works. And so today we're going to talk about some of Satan's traps. You don't have to look far to see that we all share a common condition, don't we? Paul would say that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've Each one of us sinned. We've, we've all bought into the lies that Satan has sold. And you don't have to, see, to look far to see the destruction, the pain, the grief that these traps have caused us. So, in some respects, we're certainly being outwitted by Satan. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, that doesn't have to be the case. You can know his mind. You, you don't have to be outwitted by him. You're going to fail. But it doesn't have to stay, you don't have to stay in that condition. That doesn't have to be maintained. You can, you can know his techniques. You can study them. And after having studied them, you, you see the sins coming. You see the traps coming. And so that's what we want to do today. We want to spend a little bit of time thinking about Satan's traps. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 today as we look at Adam and Eve in the garden there with Satan in the form of the snake we find his very first trap. Satan wants us to discount God's word. And anytime we do that, sin, to use the term that he's going to use in a little bit, is crouching at the door. Sin's close to us. Anytime we discount God's word. And so what, what do we mean? What are we talking about when we say discount God's word? Well, has the Bible become flexible in our culture? Has, has God's commands, have they become easy to ignore? Have they been easy to set aside? Are they interpreted differently for some than others? Do, do some commands apply to some of us and not to others or... Do I need to take this more seriously or can I be more flippant with Scripture? Do I question what he said? You begin to see 
that Satan's technique here of wanting us to discount God's word is, is working well, isn't it? In our culture, we've, we, we've made it. He's made it flexible. It's discounted. It doesn't, it doesn't mean the same thing to everyone, although it should. Some have not taken it as seriously, have been more flippant, have not taken it as seriously as we should have. And, and who is that the cause of that? Well, certainly that's, that's Satan, isn't he? It seems to be how he works. It's, it's one of his techniques. It's one of his traps. So today as we think about how am I going to overcome these traps, I wanted to point out to you how we're going to find his trap here. Let's walk through this text in Genesis chapter 3. Let me show you what I'm talking about when we talk about how he wants us to discount his God's word. Um, this is a fairly new phenomenon for the first several thousand years of planet Earth, as God's been writing Scripture from Genesis through Malachi, word has been accepted. People didn't follow it. You find that even in, in the Old Testament times, and you are aware of that, of course, they would, they would push back against it. Um, but it was, it was a solid standard, right? They didn't always obey it. And certainly they never obeyed it perfectly, but they knew what it was, and they knew that it was right and good, and that it was from God, but they didn't always obey it. You find that in the New Testament as well, right? Um, and really that trend follows all the way up until about 100, 150, 200 years ago. Um, at that point, something changed in our culture in the world's culture, I suppose, of I, I don't just not obey his word. I'm beginning to just ignore it. Like you might a petulant toddler who's throwing a fit. You remember when your two or three year old threw a fit? What did you do? Ah, just ignore him. He's going to get over it. He's crying over that he can't go to the moon, you know? So <laughs> he's crying because he can't drive the car. There's nothing I can do about that. I'm just going to ignore that, and in two minutes, you'll get over it, right? So that's the way many of our friends have chosen to look at Scripture. But it's a fairly recent phenomenon. For most of history, people understood the standard but fell short of it. Now, we don't even think it's the standard anymore. Is it even true? Did God even write it? Is, is He even real? These are questions that, that our culture struggles with, right? So, is Satan's technique of wanting us to discount God's Word happening today? You better believe it is, right? Um, it is 100% working today. Let me show it to you in the text. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field than the Lord 
God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I want to put a pin in this real quick and and deal with this this first verse. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. What? Why does God include that? Uh, that's, that's quickly becoming my favorite question when I'm studying the Bible. Because Satan doesn't ask the question I expect him to ask there. I, I don't know what question you might expect him to ask. But I expect him to ask something like, Why doesn't God want you to eat of that tree over there? That's not what he says. And I wonder why. And why God has put this first verse right next to the second verse telling us that Satan's more crafty than any beast that God had ever made. And then he asks a question that surprises us. I think he's trying to lull Eve into a false sense of security. He's putting her in charge. Some of us might think of this as a rope-a-dope, right? Um, He is playing stupid to get her to feel like she's in charge. Well, you silly snake. He said we can eat of any tree in the garden except that one over there. Oh, that one. That's the one you can't that's the one you can't eat from. Oh, and now I see. Let's go over there and look at it real quick. You begin to see how crafty he is. There's layers here, right? Don't don't Take him too lightly. Eve took him too lightly. He lulled her in this this false sense of security, and she paid for it. We need to be aware of his designs. This is one of his designs. This is how he does this. He lulls you into false sense of security. He ropes a dope. (laughs) So let's peel back the layers of Satan's seduction here so we can see this coming. And when he throws this at us, when he throws this at us, we won't, we won't fall prey to it. Um, many of you remember Greg Maddox, right? Famous pitcher, first for the Cubs, then for, for the Braves. Uh, I saw this video of him a couple of days ago. He's pitching to someone in the I think in early 2000s, late 90s. Um, and the pitch, I don't know if you're many of you are baseball fans, but hey, the pitch uh, curves around and then it just drops. And hits right in the strike zone the moment it crosses the plate. And the batter's standing there going, just walk to the dugout now. You know, it's amazing. And the, the, the guy uh, reporting, uh, interviewing Maddox after that said, uh, years later, said, do you remember that pitch? And he said, oh, I do. Because the guy uh, before him had grounded off and he had put a scuff when the bat hit the ball. It had put a scuff on the, on the ball. He said, I, I was so looking forward to using that ball for the rest of the game. Uh, and that's how, he, that's how he made that nasty pitch. But he's famous for nasty pitches. Um, still, people talk about him. He's been retired for many years now. People still talk about him. But he has this great quote. He says, you, you don't need to steal the sign. If you know what I'm going to throw you, then it's, it's helpful to you. He says, you don't need to steal the sign. I'll tell you what I'm going to throw. It's an 89-mile-hour sinker, and you're not even going to swing at it. <laughs> You know who had the most, the best record against Greg Maddox? It was a guy named Tony Gwynn. He batted something like a 400 on Maddox. Incredible, right? Interesting enough, you know who saw which pitcher 
Tony Gwynn saw more often than any other? Greg Maddox. So he was able to see the pitches coming better than anyone else had. That's what we're doing today. We're trying to find Satan's techniques so that when you see them coming, you can avoid those pitfalls. You can step away from the trap. You can see it coming, acknowledge it, and then push back against it. You're going to fail. Tony Gwynn didn't hit every pitch, every pitch Greg Maddox threw. He struck out a lot. You're going to fail. But our intention today is to equip you so that you win more often than not. So we're looking at Satan and the traps that he lies, lays for us. <coughs> what I want you to see is really in verse 4. So he says in verses 1 and 2, you know, that tree over there, did, did God tell you you can't eat out of any tree here? And the woman goes through, Eve goes through, then, oh no, it's, it's not every tree, it's just that tree right over there. And so I, I assume they go over there, um, and she walks them through, oh, I, we can't eat of this tree, this is the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's in the middle, middle of the garden, we can't eat of that, uh, or we'll die, that's what God said. And then Satan discounts God's word. You won't die. Silly, silly human, you're not going to die. He does this, doesn't he? He twists scripture. He uses it against us. He even tried to use it against Jesus in Luke 4 during Jesus' temptation. What does Satan do? What does he keep throwing at him? Well, he keeps throwing scripture at him, doesn't he? As if he could trick Jesus with this particular ploy. But it's what he does. It's one of his techniques. He wants you to discount Scripture. He wants you to view it as flexible. He wants you to view it as uh, not mandatory. It, it, you don't have to study this book. It's not necessary that you obey it. You, you, can, you can twist it and you can make it flexible and you can apologize for it. That's how he would have you to think about it, but that's just not the case. He would have you question Scripture. It's just not the case. He wants us to have a very low view of Scripture. It doesn't change the way we live or the way we act. We don't, we don't have to cherish it. We can allow dust to settle on it. We don't have to read it. Is this working today? Yeah. It's a fabulous effect, right? This is, this is what he does. This is one of his techniques. And so, as you encounter this in your own head, when you start reading through a passage and you think, I don't agree with that. Who cares? <laughs> right? You didn't write this book. God did. It's not yours to agree with it. It's yours to obey it. Right? We line up behind him. That's what we do. Satan, on the other hand, wants us to view it as something that doesn't need to be read or obeyed or cherished. It's something you can throw away off the cuff. It's flippant. That's trap number one. So anytime you find yourself apologizing for Scripture or thinking, oh, I don't like that, push through that because who is that? That's Satan, isn't it? That's how he functions. He wants you to discount God's word. Trap number two. 
Satan wants you to discount God's goodness. He wants you to discount God's goodness. Watch what happens at the very next step here in Genesis 3. After he says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he do there? Well, he says, God's holding something back from you. He's withholding something good from you, something that you ought to want, something that's good for you, something that will make you wise. God's holding it back from you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't, if he loves you, he would want you to have everything, right? He would want you to have every good thing, right? No, no bars, no restraints. He wants you to have everything. And so he doesn't really care for you. He's not really good. That's, that's the lie Satan's trying to sell to Eve. And again, to fabulous effect. He makes her think, does God really have her best interest in mind? How could you possibly trust him after knowing that he kept this thing from you. Does it work? It does. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it had never crossed Eve's mind to even look at the tree. She had never even seen the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't touch it, don't eat. He said, don't eat from it. And so she had made up this, this command, I assume in her own mind, maybe Adam did, uh, maybe Adam told her, don't even touch it. But she had so trusted God up until that point, she didn't even look to see if it had fruit. This is the first time when her eyes glance over there at it. You know why her eyes glanced at it? Because Satan convinced her that God didn't have what's good for her in mind. That she had better knowledge for what's good for her than God did. So she looks at it. Do we ever do that? This is another one of those traps that he has worked to fabulous function. It's worked so well, hasn't it? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do kids get cancer? Why do good people die young? Why, 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 why? Are those valid questions? Maybe, yeah. Have we answered some of those in the past? Yeah, we certainly have, and we will continue to, because those things have biblical answers. But what, what is really at the center of those types of questions? Is God good? Can I trust Him? That's Satan. Anytime that enters my mind, anytime I think, well, I know better than he does, I can do better for me than he has done for me, Anytime I think like that, sin's crouching at the door. Satan is, is right there, ready to attack. The Bible says that sin, that there is pleasure in sin, but it's gone so fast you hardly even know it was there, right? That's Hebrews chapter 11, 24 through 25, talking about Moses and the fleeting pleasures of sin. It doesn't deny that there's pleasure in sin. It denies that it stays. That's the lie that Satan sells to us, if you just do this thing, then you'll be happy. God said, I won't be happy if I do that. Who do I believe? Sometimes even in the midst of sin, it sours on us, doesn't it? The guilt overwhelms us and the 
the pleasure we once thought was so tempting that we must have it now only tastes like sour grapes in our mouth. Eve's going to get there. But right now, as she listens to Satan's words, the wheels in her mind are turning. She's revisiting every time in her history where, with God where he might be at fault. Maybe he showed up late to the garden uh, when they walked at night. Why didn't she get to name any of the animals? Uh, are these thoughts running through her mind as she's turning toward the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? If Satan is wrong, the fruit probably won't even look good. But sure enough, there it is, and it looks delicious. She had always just taken God at his word to stay away from the tree. She hadn't even looked at it, but now she was wondering why he had kept this delight from her. You see how fast the seed of doubt Satan planted grew in her mind, don't you? But it only took seconds. We have to slow down this episode and watch it in review to catch her thinking because it happened so fast. That's kind of the point of this lesson, though, isn't it? So we can take apart Satan's techniques and, and look at them and think, I've seen that before, and I'll see it again. And next time I see it, I'm not going to fall for this particular ploy. He cannot use God's goodness against us. We should not be able to use God's goodness against us. So we ask ourselves this question. Do you think God's right? You might think, might think well, right about what? Right about everything. Or, or all the difficult texts where you come against them in Scripture and you think, oh, that, that's harsh. That's way too harsh. Why did he do that? Because he's good. And anytime I doubt that, Sin's crouching at the door. I'm not saying doubt is wrong. This, this book and this God is 100% capable of taking all your doubts and answering every one of those questions. I'm saying when your mind goes there, Satan can and will use that against you. You need to be careful. Be aware, because that pitch is coming. If you can see it, you might be able to stay away from it. Today, his goodness is questioned from the genocide of the Canaanites during the Israeli invasion in Joshua all the way to allowing childhood cancer today. His goodness is under assault. Anytime our minds start wondering why God did something like he did or was that too harsh or I wouldn't have done it like that, Satan is springing this trap on us. So that's trap number two. What's trap number three? Satan, Satan wants us to be selfish. You see this with, uh, with Job in, in the book of Job. Um, Satan has appeared in God's throne room there. and God asks him where he's coming from. And he says, well, I've, I've been walking back and forth. I guess Peter would say it, prowling maybe is the verb he would use, around like a, like a lion looking for someone to devour. But Satan says, I've been walking to and fro, trying to diminish his activity, I suppose. Lull people into a false sense of security, maybe. Because that's how he acts. But eventually, God gets to Job. Have you, have you noticed my servant Job in all your wanderings? Has, has he escaped your attention? He goes, he's a good man. And do you remember what Satan says to God? His, his, his comeback there. Job wouldn't serve you if you took all the good things away from him that you've given him. 
Why does he say that? Because he's giving us unintentionally there a, a, a view into his mind. He's telling us how he thinks there. Have you, have you ever caught that? When he says, Job wouldn't serve you if, you if you took away all the good things. Satan is so selfish. He can't envision a scenario in which anyone would serve someone else if they didn't get something out of it. He is selfish. He's always in this for what's in it for him. That's the way he thinks. If you can figure out how he thinks, you can defeat him occasionally. So let's think about it for just a second. Satan wants me to be selfish. He does it with Job. He does it here in the Garden of Eden with Eve. Don't you want to be like God? Wouldn't that be a good thing to, to be? Certainly you respect him. Certainly he's, he's high and lifted up. And part of it's because he, he has something you don't have. Don't you, want, don't you want that? What's in this for you? You begin to see the problem here. He does it again to Jesus in Luke 4 when he carries him up to the, the pinnacle of the, uh, of the temple and he shows them the, the nations, right? I can make every one of these nations follow you if you'll just bow down and worship me. What's Jesus want? He wants all the nations to come to him. He's not going to fall for this trap, right? He sees through, he sees the pitch coming and he is able to avoid it. But we do this too, don't we? Anytime something is in it for me, sin is crouching at the door, and I'd better be extraordinarily careful. Remember, pride comes before the fall. Anytime you start looking for ways to benefit from a situation, sin is right at your heels. So the question really becomes, what can I do about this? How can I avoid these things? Well, flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's spend a little bit of time in Ephesians 6. I think God gives us the power, the ability, the knowledge to be able to overcome these traps, these ploys. And he tells you about them, right? Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 10, he starts talking about uh, how, how you can be strong in the Lord because Satan's going to throw fiery darts at you. And he's not going to stop because he hates you and he wants to tear down everything good. So he's not going to stop. This will be a constant assault on you. It will not stop. And so how can you avoid it? How can you push back? How can you defend yourself where well, you're going to need some help? So starting in verse 13, he starts talking about putting on the whole armor of God. So I wanted to walk through those for just a minute this morning as we think about how to avoid these traps. We see them coming now, but still we're going to fall prey to them if we're not extraordinarily careful. So how can we prepare ourselves to defend against them? We, we fasten on in verse 14, the belt of truth. I think what he's talking about there is, is absolute truth. The, the stronger a grasp we have on um, 
sorry, uh, on God's goodness, the harder it will be for Satan to pull the wool over our eyes. And so we're, we're looking at uh, the belt of truth there and how there is absolute truth. There is uh, things that are, are, are true and things that are, are false. There is um, right and there is wrong. God is always right. Whether you agree with him or not, he's always right. He decides what is right and what is wrong. Sometimes my kids will be playing a game and one of them will introduce a new rule that no one else is is aware of and it's to help that one kid win the game, right? Um, Every now and then, one of them will say something like, why do you get to make a rule? That's not fair. God decided a long time ago what is right and what's wrong. He decided these things. He told us the code of justice and we simply live by it. If he's done something in scripture or something in, in the world has affected uh, by, by sense of justice, I must be, has, has affected my sense of justice, I must be looking at it wrong. He's right and we'll do the right thing every single time and I've got to trust that. That's, that's really what's at the, the key uh, of the belt of truth, I think, at least as it pertains to our discussion today, do I, do I trust him? Do I trust him to do what's right? Do I trust him to be good? He's the one that founded all those principles, and so I should trust him. Next, Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness. I think he's getting at uh, my obedience and love for God's way of living here. Of course, it's not impossible for Satan to get to me if I'm living how God would have me to live, but it's a whole lot easier for him to get to me if I'm ignoring God's morality. If I'm doing whatever I would like to do, it's a whole lot easier for Satan to get to me. But if I'm lined up behind who God would have me, me to be and how he would have me to act, how he would have me to live, it's a lot harder for Satan to get to me. The next thing Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 is being ready to fight this battle. Um, when he talks about the, these shoes that are uh, made ready by the gospel of peace, I, I've looked at that as evangelism for so many years, and, and I'm looking at it a little bit differently now. I'm thinking, at least as it pertains to our, our topic today, that he's talking about being prepared to fight this fight. You're, being, you're, you're ready, and the gospel has made you ready. You're, you're you're focused on what's important. Um, you're, you've laid aside all these things that, that have weighed you down for so long, all these sins that entangle you and make it hard to do what you ought to do, to live right. You, you've laid those things aside now, and you're not going back to, to that life or to those activities. You're fighting hard for your faith. Laying aside all those shackles. The next one uh, he talks about is uh, taking up the shield of faith. The, the King James, I kind of like what it says there. It says, above all, implying that, uh, coming, that the coming component is the most important the ESV has in, in all circumstances. Implying you should never be without this component. Everywhere you go, you need to take your faith. Or another word for faith is trust. Trust in God. That should 
It should go with you everywhere you go. It's mandatory in all situations. It's the glue that holds all the other pieces in place. This trust in God has the ability to, to defend you against all of Satan's attacks. Look at your text there in Ephesians chapter 6 again. He's throwing these fiery darts at us, but our trust in God defends us against those attacks. The next component we might call getting your head on straight. Paul calls it the helmet of salvation. He's saying that you should be so focused on your future salvation that you're not going to be distracted by anything. Nothing else matters. I'm, I'm headed toward my goal, and none of this stuff over here is going to distract me. I'm so focused. Do you ever run? you ever run a distance? I hate running. Um, and, but when I do, <laughs> on the occasion that I do get it in my head to run and get in shape by running, I put, a, I put a marker somewhere ahead of me, and I just run to that, that marker. You know what happens when I get to that marker? Stop. Because I accomplished the goal, right? It's not the way you ought to be, but I accomplished the goal. So if we can just set salvation as our marker, and we run to it and don't allow any of this other stuff to distract us. I think that's what he's talking about with this helmet of salvation, final piece of armor Paul wants to make sure that we're utilizing is scripture. Remember one of Satan's most used tools is getting us to discount the Bible. You need to know this book. You need to read it. You need to study it. Memorize it and hide it in your heart so that you might not sin against God. David thought that was important in Psalm 119 didn't he? If David needed to do it, you do too. I do too. We need to hide this book in our heart. It, it, David needed to pour over scripture like this. You better believe we need to as well. Don't discount the Bible. Treasure it. It's your most prized possession. Don't let dust accumulate on it. You put yourself in this book every day, so you're well equipped to use it to fight against Satan. It's of note that this is exactly how Jesus used scripture when Satan was tempting him. The more you know this book, the better equipped you're going to be to defend yourself against Satan's attacks. What's so interesting is, in verse 18, he, he follows up. It's not necessarily a part of the armor, but it's, 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 it's a weapon we can use and should be using against Satan to overcome these attacks. He says, don't forget to pray. Don't forget to pray. He includes this in this list of things that keep us from Satan's poise. If you're going to overcome Satan's traps, it's because you've spent time in prayer pleading with God for the necessary strength and wisdom to do so. You don't do this on your own. This is a joint effort with you and God headed towards salvation. We've all fallen short, every single one of us. None of us have escaped this. Satan's ploys are, are too direct, too harsh, too cunning and crafty for us to overcome them every single time. It, but if we can see them coming, then we've got a better defense. So you need to study him. You need to study the way he thinks. And maybe these three traps that he's laid for you, for all mankind, maybe they've helped you uh, begin that study, but these are certainly the things that can be done that will protect you from those attacks. You can have protection. You do have protection. This morning, if you're not inside of Christ, that protection is not yours. You're still lost in your sins. You're still condemned. But that's not the way it has to remain. You can certainly have your sins washed away through the power of baptism. In fact, that's the 
only way, he says, that those sins can be forgiven. Today, maybe you've made that decision and you're struggling. We want to pray for you that you can be everything that God would want you to be, to be a, a warrior for him, one that overcomes Satan's ploys and is so focused on salvation, he doesn't allow anything to distract him. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. visiting with us and glad you decided to worship with us this morning you can take a moment to our visitor card in front of you and put it in a black box in the back we'd love to have a record of your attendance a couple of life group news as a reminder at Mike's life group uh, will have lunch after services uh, this morning uh, they will meet in the middle auditorium soup and sandwiches are on the menu also uh, life group three that's Jeremy's life group will uh, copy Mike's group and have soup and sandwiches as well. Um, uh, that's next Sunday after morning services, so please uh, plan on stay if you're in that group and bring something to share. Also, Life Group 4, that is Drew Clark and Greg Sullivan's Life Group, will meet next Sunday, uh, the 21st, after, after morning services as well. Are they having soup and sandwiches? I don't know. <laughs>
don't know, you have to ask Drew Clark and Greg Sullivan if they're having soup and sandwiches. <laughs> um, also, uh, <laughs> uh, tonight after services, a uh, high school devotional at the Parker's house. Um, so all uh, high school students, um, you know, please put that in your calendars. Uh, uh, Devo at the Parker's house. Also, uh, this coming Monday, ladies' class will meet at 10 o'clock here at the building tomorrow. Um, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, uh, it'll start with lesson one. So if you've never been to the ladies' class, this will be a new lesson for you. So I do encourage you to come to that. Also, this coming Tuesday, Young at Heart will be heading to Ironton to eat at the Armory. Uh, some barbecue there. So uh, if you've ever been at Young at Heart or we you're not doing anything just come join us we'd love to have you also next friday is another youth event there's a nerf battle going on here at the building um, at six o'clock and this is for all ages that's next friday and also saturday february the third will be the chili cook-off so um, if you think you can beat jeremy and take his trophy away from him um, make him cry and hand the trophy over um, He'll, uh, he won't give it up, but, um, but please bring your chili um, with you. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep uh, McAllister and the Black family in your prayers. Marvin's aunt, uh, Nancy Black, passed away last week. Uh, she was a member at Greasy Ridge Church of Christ. Uh, the funeral arrangements are at Hall's Funeral Home this, this Monday. Um, Visitation is from 1 to 2 o'clock, and the funeral is immediately after the visitation at 2 o'clock. So uh, keep uh, Marvin's uh, family in your prayers at this time. Also, remember, continue to keep uh, Jimmy Wilgus and Jim Martin and Jackie Hutchison in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. Keep Friday Simpson in your prayers as well. Uh, keep Jim Haney in your prayers. Uh, he's still at home um, recovering. Keep Roger Kaufman in your prayers as well at this time. And also uh, keep uh, Tim and Gail Hewitt in your prayers as well. Uh, Tim is sick again with the cough and they were at, uh, heading to St. Mary's this morning. Uh, so keep uh, the Hewitts in your prayers. That's all the announcements I have at this time. Is there anything else I may have missed? All right, very good. Looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at six o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 336, Is It For Me? We'll sing the first and last verse, and Brother Chad Judge will lead us in prayer. Is it for me? Is it for
Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you now thanking you for this morning that you've given us, this time that we've had to come together to, to worship you and to sing praises to you and to learn more about your word. Father, we are so very thankful and for all the many blessings that you do give us as individuals and as, as a congregation. We thank you for this building that you've given us so that we could come to, to worship you and in comfort and in warmth. Father, we do thank you for Chris and the lesson he gave us this morning that we will apply it to our lives, that we always look for you and to study your word, that we can be better Christians and that we can, that you can help us fight off the evil one. Father, we do pray that what we've said and done here today is well-pleasing to you and is according to your will. Father, we do pray for all the ones that are not here, the ones that are sick or dealing with health issues with cancer or loss of loved ones, that, that you will continue to be with them, strengthen and encourage them. Father, as we leave today, that we, we pray that you will continue to be with us and keep us safe. We thank you for Jesus and all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>